Well, this morning we step over into Daniel chapter 5 in our short study of the book of Daniel. And as I mentioned in our uh, preface to opening up the Old Testament reading today, uh, there is an abrupt change now in the text. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is gone. Much time has passed in the little gap between Daniel 4 and Daniel 5. Nebuchadnezzar is gone, and now Belshazzar is king over Babylon. And there may, in fact, we're not sure, to be honest, if Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's son or if Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Uh, the language would be the same. Uh, it may be that Belshazzar's father is still there, and uh, Belshazzar is king under him. And hence, that whole business about giving Daniel the third position of power within the kingdom, that may very well be but well, what's going on. But nonetheless, Nebuchadnezzar has since passed. Daniel is much older at this point. He's not the young man that uh, we remember in his dealings with Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, and we find ourselves here in this situation. So just if you, if you aren't paying attention, there's a little bit of whiplash uh, that takes place there between chapters 4 and 5. Now, thus far, we've seen Daniel in Babylon living in exile. Uh, we have seen him be the prophetic voice to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, interpreting for him God's providential and maybe even miraculous uh, dreams and visions that have been given to him. Uh, and we have considered as our, for ourselves that part of what it means to live in Babylon is to put words to uh, the providential revelation of God. Uh, we can't explain every nitty-gritty detail, um, but nonetheless, we can put words to what God is doing and has uh, what He has done within the world. So we've been thinking about Daniel that way. Last week in particular, you'll remember that Nebuchadnezzar had gotten a vision, and it was an amazing, well, dream, and this dream was of a mighty tree whose shade covered the whole earth, and all the beasts of the field came and and found its shelter uh, under this tree, and all the birds of the air found their nest in this tree. And uh, this is very, uh, you know, a very beautiful tree. But an agent from the Lord came and said, cut the tree down. The tree was cut down, but the stump was uh, commanded to, to be left. And then uh, Nebuchadnezzar seeks among his astrologers, Chaldean, we know the whole list of the bunch of, of people that he calls uh, this and that, everyone, Tom, Dick, and Harry, everybody brought together uh, to, to try to interpret this. And lo and behold, of course, they can't do it. And they get Daniel in there, and Daniel says, oh, yes, I see what's going on here. And uh, he, he spends some time with the Lord. He gets the interpretation. He comes back to Nebuchadnezzar and tells Nebuchadnezzar a very hard truth. Right? Nebuchadnezzar, you are the tree. You are the tree. And, you know, your, your reign is sovereign. Uh, everybody finds their shelter in you. But the day is coming because of your pride that uh, the tree is going to be cut down and you are going to be humbled by the Lord. And yet, the stump will remain, giving opportunity for you to grow back, if you will. Uh, the idea being that the conditional thing here, the trigger on the negative side, is arrogance, pride, and the trigger in restoration is repentance. And then a year went by. And next thing you know, we see Nebuchadnezzar atop his palace, feeling very good one day about himself, surveying his amazing city, his amazing kingdom. 
and then uttering the words, is this not Babylon the great that I have built with my hands for my own name's sake? And the Lord then appeared to him and said, you're done. <laughs> and uh, Nebuchadnezzar was then, we don't know what happened to him, but some kind of breakdown, some kind of insanity comes upon him. He is contorted and twisted. His hair grows out in time, ragged, ragged and, and so forth, like eagle's feathers, we're told. His nails become like talons. He's down on the ground, clawing, eating grass, living out in the field with the dew falling upon him for seven times, we're told, seven seasons, until finally he lifts up his eyes to heaven and looks to the Lord God, and the Lord heals him and restores his kingdom back to him. And what's fascinating about all that is that it's not Daniel who recounts that story to us. If you go back and look, and we made this point last week, it's Nebuchadnezzar himself. Now, Daniel reports Nebuchadnezzar's words, but if you go back in, in Daniel 4, it says, you know, I, Nebuchadnezzar. You know, Nebuchadnezzar is declaring to his kingdom this horrific and, frankly, embarrassing. When the king becomes like an animal, you know, eating grass and living out in the field, and all his advisors are like, what the heck is going on with Nebuchadnezzar? And, and for seven seasons, he's basically incapacitated. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. And yet, Nebuchadnezzar wants this story told. We don't know for sure whether Nebuchadnezzar is a believer. There's good evidence to indicate he is, that it was a genuine repentance and so forth. But one thing interesting about him is, as king, he puts this in the, the record books, if you will, that this thing happened by his own hand. Now, that's relevant. That's relevant to our text today. Because Belshazzar, be he Nebuchadnezzar's son or grandson, it doesn't matter, finds himself in a similar predicament. Except Belshazzar gets no warnings. Belshazzar doesn't get any season of insanity by which he can then mercifully repent and come back, right? His today is over. Nebuchadnezzar had, if you will, an extended today. And for those who are listening on, on the internet, I'm referencing our word of exhortation today from, ex, from uh, Hebrews chapter 3. Where in Hebrews 3, the author of Hebrews says, repent while it is still called today. That is, while you still have a chance. And Belshazzar doesn't get another today. Our text ends very directly. This He sees this amazing thing, which we'll talk about in a second. Daniel comes in, interprets it, and then it says, and then the king was done. He was killed that night. That's it. It's over. So very different from Nebuchadnezzar, and I think a very strong and severe warning to all who read it, to us today, as we take up this story. And so... We're to have ears for that. And we'll relate that to why, the fact that Nebuchadnezzar uh, um, wrote this for the record books and no doubt told his son and or his grandson that this story was passed down. Well, what happens? Let's just recount the story uh, for ourselves. Here we have Belshazzar, king of Babylon, and something is provoking this party. Now, what we do know is that right on outside the gates is the Medo-Persian Medo Empire, 
that is rising and growing and that is going to overthrow and conquer Babylon. And King Cyrus, if you will, and Darius, as uh, the name is given to us here, is really just outside the gates. It's so much so that by the end of the chapter, he has come in and conquered the land. Okay, So we know that Nebuchadnezzar's amazing kingdom of gold, remembering the statue with the head of gold, is about to be succeeded now by the chest of silver. That We're, we're right at the end here, uh, the cusp. All kinds of speculations have been about this banquet. We know that in the record books, in the ancient historians, uh, uh, Xenophon and Herodotus both recount the fact that, in fact, the Persians did come conquer this and, and take over the Babylonian in the midst of a great banquet. So I mean, this, we're reading about the banquet itself. It's like, the banquet is no sooner over than the Babylonian kingdom is over. We don't know why the party here, the last push, the last hurrah, a last attempt to rally the troops, uh, I don't know what it is. But somehow there's a big party and it's going to be a big bacchanalia. And Belshazzar, in a moment of arrogance and stupidity, has all the gals out. He's got the wives and the concubines and everyone else that uh, he's involved with there. And all, you know, he's showing off in front of everybody. And he tells servants to go get the articles of gold from the temple in Jerusalem that, you know, my, my father, you know, the king, uh, uh, secured. Bring them out here so we can enjoy them. And then takes them and drinking out of them, I assume, the, the labor and so forth, whatever, pouring, you know, wine and so forth into these things and drinking out of them and using them for all sorts of, I'm sure, in, inappropriate, uh, inappropriate things. And he, he's showing off. And as this is happening, this is very hard for us to understand what exactly this looked like in real time. All I can see is the hand from the Adams family. You know, if you remember back in those days, I don't know if you'll date myself here with these things, but, you know, you remember the hand that walked around. But anyway, uh, <laughs> a, a, a hand appears. As all we're told is a hand with fingers of a man. And over by the lampstands, conveniently, so that it is illuminated, <laughs> um, so that the light of, of, of the lampstands uh, is shining on it, this hand begins to write on the wall of the palace. And it's words that are written in Aramaic, but nonetheless are really not translatable because they are written, these three words, as you, as you saw them before us, are just strung together apparently with no breaks in between them. And supposedly, uh, you could break it in different places to make it mean different things. So it's unclear exactly what is trying to be said here. It could be, we could split it this way and end up with the three words we have, or we could split it in four ways and end up with a different thing. And so it's not sure. And, 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 and we're told in a, uh, in a very circumspect way here that, uh, that when Belshazzar sees this, uh, and so I, I don't know if this is anywhere else in the scriptures that it says his knees were knocking. I just see like cartoons of the, the only thing with the, you know, the, the guy's knees are like click, 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 click. And, and, uh, and there's Belshazzar, the king, who, who looks and he sees this writing literally on the wall and his knees are knocking. And then it says that the joints of his hips loosened. <laughs> what the heck does that mean? Well, it means something bad. It means that he, he had an accident. 
It means that he, you know, he soiled himself. And this is the New King James trying to be very proper and appropriate. Uh, the, uh, let's see, how can we say it? Um, his hip joints loosened. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, he, he lost his, you know, he, he, he soiled himself, okay? Uh, very embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, so we were, yeah, we're on tape here. So, we, um, yeah, he saw, this is, I mean, the king just really falls apart <laughs> right in front of everybody. And for good reason, there's a hand that appears in his writing on the back wall. And Belshazzar does not know what to make out of this. He's just literally, I mean, he's so nervous. His knees are knocking and he's soiling himself right in front of his people. So what does he do? Well, he gets the gaggle of, uh, of troops back again. These guys who we have not seen one time actually be effective within this book. So let's see, let's get the Chaldeans, the astrologers, the soothsayers. I mean, let's get these guys again back in here. Boys, can you help me? And they're scratching the chin and can't figure it out. And they say, we just can't. We can't. And he even offers them, I'll, I'll make, whoever can do it, I'll offer you third in the kingdom. You know, you know next in line. And they, that sounds like a great deal, but they, they just can't pull it off. They just can't say for certain what this is. And then the queen comes in. Perhaps the queen mother is what it's assumed, that this is either his, his mother or his grandmother, perhaps, but most likely his mother, steps in and says, hey, you know, you're making a big mistake here, son. It's like you're, you're calling in all these guys. There is one. There is one within your kingdom who the king Nebuchadnezzar has used before. He's a man who has the spirit of God. He's the one who is able to do this. And interestingly enough, she calls his name Daniel, which is interesting, right? She gives credit to El, to God. Uh, he's God will judge, which is fitting and appropriate for the story that we're in. And she mentions that Nebuchadnezzar called him Belshazzar, but... but you know, his name is Daniel. And so Belshazzar calls Daniel in and says, hey, I heard you you have the spirit of God to be able to read these things. Can you tell me what the heck this is? And, and he looks at it and he says, oh yeah, yeah, I see what's going on here. And he says, yes, I can, I can interpret this. And then rather than interpret it, well, he's got the ear of the king. And by the way, the king tells him as well, he says, Hey, if you can do this, by the way, I will gi I'll give you third rank in the kingdom and a gold chain around your neck. And, and Daniel, beautifully, you know, th this is older Daniel. There's no niceties to the king. It's just simply keep your gifts. Like, I, I, don't, I don't even want, and for one, they're utterly worthless because right outside the gate, you know, is the, Persian, the Persians who are going to come in here and end this thing pretty quickly. Daniel knows that. And so keep, keep your gifts, give them to someone else. But let me say this to you, king. And then rather than interpreting the three words, Daniel launches into a history lesson. Daniel says, before I read these words, would you go back with me to your father or your grandfather? Let's go back to when I was a young man. And King Nebuchadnezzar, and then he retells the story of Nebuchadnezzar, how Nebuchadnezzar was a king much greater than you, by the way. Nebuchadnezzar, he, it was at the high point of the Babylonian empire and kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar is the man that built it, right? 
Nebuchadnezzar is the founder of the company. He was a great king, the sovereign king. What he said happened. He raised them up, they were raised up. He lowered them, he executed them, they were executed. He wanted to save them, they were saved. Nobody had authority over him. He was the mightiest in the world. And yet in his arrogance, Belshazzar, the Lord humbled him, cut his legs out from under him, made him to be like an animal living in the fields with the dew falling on his back. And Nebuchadnezzar repented. And the Lord restored his kingdom. And now you have had it bequeathed to you. You hold in your hand that kingdom. The story of Nebuchadnezzar having been run through, this is the result of it and it's been given to you. And now here you are, Belshazzar, completely blinding yourself to the stories that have come before you, plugging your ears, blinding your eyes, and all you can see is your glory. So that as everything's falling apart, your only thought is bring me the, the, the articles of gold so that we can drink out of them. Mocking the God of Israel, the God that humbled your father and trusting, and Daniel makes the point to say it, and trusting in gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and stone and wood. Gods who cannot see, and here you can, you can hear Psalm, uh, uh, Psalm 115. You know, eyes they have, but they cannot see. Ears have they, but they cannot hear. Noses they have, but they cannot smell. Hands have they, but they cannot do anything with them. And Belshazzar, this is where you have chosen to put your trust. Yeah, let me interpret the words for you. The three words are words of measurement. And so the first one is, you will be counted. And the Lord has counted you, and you're finished. You're done. You're bankrupt. And the second one is that of weight. And you have been put on the scales and you have been found light. And the third is your kingdom has been taken away from you. Okay, that's what the words mean. And it's very interesting, by the way. Belshazzar doesn't go, well, wait, wait no, come on, that can't be. He just says, all right, guys, get him the, get him the robe. Right? And he give him the robe, give him the necklace. And they put, you can just see Daniel standing there while they drape him with this stupid purple robe and put the chain around his neck, utterly useless. And that's it. And then we're told that night, Belshazzar is killed and the kingdom is taken by the Medes and the Persians. Now, what are we to do with a story like this? It's a pretty, I mean, in, on the one hand, it's a pretty simple story. And it, it plays right on the heels. It's, it's, the, it's the counter story to the one we just got with Nebuchadnezzar. Of course, the endings are dramatically different. Nebuchadnezzar repents and is healed. He repents and he is restored. He repents and his kingdom is given back to him. Belshazzar, in some sense, is not given the chance to repent. I say that with a, a twinge because... He was given a chance. Belshazzar just has the word come to him and boom, he's dropped. There's an instantaneous judgment. The Lord has taken your kingdom from you. Boom, he's done. 
But Belshazzar had something. And this is where I think we, we have to pay very close attention to this. Because Belshazzar had the report of his father or grandfather. Belshazzar heard the story. He had seen the model of Nebuchadnezzar who had it all and in his great pride refused to humble himself and the Lord humbled him. And where there was repentance, the Lord restored him. Belshazzar had that. And in our word of exhortation last week, our word of exhortation was from 1 Corinthians 10 last week. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 says to the Corinthians and through them to you and to me, you, like Belshazzar, have that. You have their stories. That God is your God. The God that did not let them enter the land of Canaan because of their rebellion is your God. It's the very God we're worshiping in this room today. And, the, and Paul says to the Corinthians, don't neglect or turn a deaf ear to their example. And brothers and sisters, this is how we ought to hear this today. I titled the sermon, Although You Knew. Although You Knew. And I take that because this, this comes from verse tw uh, uh, 22. Daniel is in the midst of his telling of the history lesson. Right? Belshazzar wants the, hey, can you interpret this? And Daniel has the king's attention. And rather than just saying, yeah, here's what it means, he preaches to him and through him to us. And this is the verse that caught my attention and really helped me focus this sermon today. So he just told the story, right? Verse 21, then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts. His dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses, right? See, Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the man who when he says it, it gets done. But what Nebuchadnezzar had to learn was that God is the one who does it. And the only reason Nebuchadnezzar had that authority was because God had raised him for a purpose. And when he wanted to, he would flatten him. And just to make that clear, let me flatten you real quick. Turn him into a beast, teach him. He raises, Lord, I get it. He elevates him back. And so Daniel is telling Belshazzar this. And then he says this in verse 22. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. Although you knew this. This isn't like I'm breaking news to you. This isn't like I'm telling you this story for the first time. You knew this story. And even though you knew it, you called for the vessels of gold to mock the God of Israel. You and your haughty pride. You refused to humble yourself like your father. Although you knew. And this is also why I chose as our New Testament reading today, Romans chapter 1, because Paul makes the same argument 
in Romans 1, starting in verse 18, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Right? They don't want to deal with the truth of the story that is before them. John Calvin says, man walks around God's dazzling theater with blinders on, like with a big, long-brimmed hat, so that he does not have to look up and see the God above him. So the long-brimmed hat can keep my eyes down, where I just look at you. I judge myself compared to you. I judge myself compared to the lower things, the lesser things. And maybe I feel high and mighty. Maybe I feel pretty righteous. Maybe I feel like I can live forever. Maybe I feel like, you name it. All these idolatrous thoughts. Because Calvin says, we keep our eyes lowered down to heaven, or down from heaven to earth. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness of men that suppress, suppress means to push down, that suppress the truth in unrighteousness, right? I don't want it bubbling up and having to deal with it. So like a beach ball in a pool, I try to hold it underwater. It keeps wanting to pop up and I, I get it back down and try to hold it and it slips up and I grab it and pull it back down. But that is the sinfulness of man. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And then he says in verse 20, for although they knew God, for although they knew, same as here with Daniel, although you knew, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks. But their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for the glory of the creature, of animals and four-footed things. It's just like, just like Belshazzar. And he says, again, back in verse 20, he says, that was 21. In verse 20, he says, and therefore, man, you are without excuse. For since the beginning of time, the Lord has, has made his invisible attributes known to you so that you are without excuse. Todd asked us to pray for unsaved loved ones today. Darn straight. They are without excuse. The stories have been told. The heavens have been singing and declaring the glory of God since the beginning of time. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him, but their foolish hearts were darkened. But I don't want to make this a sermon about the non-believer. Yes, they, they, they are without excuse, but brothers and sisters, you and I are without excuse. How much more then? We, who have heard the stories again and again and again. How much more, we, who have heard these things, are we not accountable? And must we not beware? And so the author of Hebrews, writing to believers, you know, and reminding them to repent while it is still called today. Nebuchadnezzar was shown great grace. 
As one author, I forget, Justin Sherrick's reading it with a bunch of our students in a little book club, I, but I love the title of the book, and he's been telling me to read it, and I have to read it, and Justin just raves about it, but the book is called A Severe Mercy, and Nebuchadnezzar got a severe mercy. He was turned into an animal, but the result was repentance. The result was restoration. The result was life. Belshazzar was given a subtle mercy. He was given a testimony. He was given time, but he did not know the day of his visitation. He was given time. He was, he was given the story of his father that should have made so, he should have given him the grid through which he interpreted the reality he had, the authority he had how quickly it can be taken from him, what he was responsible to do with it, who he was to honor for it. And he did not. He did not repent while it was still called today and eventually it was no longer today. And the author of Hebrews calls you and me to repent, to hear this today and to repent, to make sure that before we leave this hall today, this church, and all who are listening, before this sermon is over, to make sure that we have gotten our hearts right with the Lord God, for we do not know when it will no longer be today. And as long as it is today, we ought to repent, for we are no different than Belshazzar. We've talked about in here at Table Talk that part of being in the very image of God is, is to be a king. When God created the world, He made you kings. You may not feel like a king, but you're a king. You have authority. You, you are the image of God. You are Nebuchadnezzar's son. Right? You're, you're, you're the son of the greater Nebuchadnezzar. You are the son of God Most High. You are sons of God. Vested with royalty and with authority. And in just as much danger as our friend Belshazzar. To make sure that we recognize that that which we have, we owe to him. To confess our sins of idolatry, our tendencies toward cosmic treason. And to repent of it. That in him we might have life. That, that we, we must stand. Again, the Old Testament gives us these graphic pictures. Hands writing on a wall. A king being turned into an animal. Visions of trees being cut down and 90-foot statues. And This is given to us that we might take it and that we might learn from it, that we might repent. Again, for us, our hope is not in our strength. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the very form God did not count his position of honor as something to be held onto, but emptied himself, taking the form of a, a servant, so that he might stand in our shoes, so that he might have these words counted and finished, put on the scales and been found light, and to have your glory snatched from you. 
I mean, this is, this is what Jesus does at Golgotha. This is what Jesus does. He actually has his own creatures declare these things to him. Uh, you know, Pontius Pilate holds him in the balance and finds him light. Caiaphas and the boys, you know, count him and tell him he's finished. Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas snatch his glory, or so they think, from him. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, who though he is I mean, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't even, remember, he's the little stone that rolls over and, and knocks the whole statue down and then grows into a mighty mountain. I mean, that's who we're dealing with here in Jesus Christ. And yet he humbled himself, stepped into your shoes so that all of your idolatry, all of my idolatry, all of my arrogance, all of my cosmic treason could be forgiven. And I could be restored. You can be restored. So brothers and sisters, lay hold of that. Repent while it is today. Trust in the one who has already borne your judgment. You deserve what Belshazzar gets and much worse. You deserve what Nebuchadnezzar gets and much worse. And the good news is Christ has taken much worse for you. Even as we sang in our psalm today, he, Jesus Christ, has drank the cup of foaming wrath. Go back and read that psalm again. There's a foaming cup of wrath that we will have to drink to the dregs, all the enemies of God. And, and we, by nature, are enemies of God, just like Belshazzar. And therefore, we will have to drink the foaming cup of God's wrath. But Jesus Christ has drank the foaming cup. That's the good news of the gospel. So rejoice in that. And let us make sure today that our hearts are right with Almighty God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Belshazzar's arrogance is so obvious. It's stupidity. To mock the vessels of the temple, to mock the God of Israel. But Father, we confess that we do the same thing in our own little subtle ways. That we sin and we sin and we think we get away with it. That you have not struck us down and it feels as if we get away with these things and they must not bother you that much and yet the author of Hebrews tells us to repent while we still can and so I pray for us here as a congregation for all who are listening that you would soften our hearts that you would convict us of our sin that you would free us from our arrogance that you would humble us before your throne that indeed our salvation might not be in jeopardy and as we have already, we pray for those whom we love, who in their arrogance continue to defy the Lord God. Have mercy upon them. Father, we pray that while it is still called today, they might repent and find salvation in none other than Jesus Christ. All these things we pray in His great and glorious name. Amen.